Hello and welcome once again to None of Us Is Yet A Robot, the podcast, the podcast that just won't quit. Um, thanks for tuning in again. This is the Trans Pride special, I guess. Um, it's been a week since Trans Pride Brighton happened, 2016, and wow, it was it was really incredible. There were four and a half thousand visitors to the park in Brighton where it took place. Um, Two thousand people joined the march along the seafront, and to be in those kind of numbers uh, as a trans person, those kind of numbers of gender non-conforming people of all stripes um it's it's incredible it's it's it, there's no other way of describing it um the feeling i think my favorite moment one of my favorite moments was absolutely the march along the the front um i think i mentioned in in the conversation that's about to follow but that feeling of having i was at the front and that feeling of having such a huge wave of support behind you and the reactions of people as we walked along, it, it, it was uh, it was good. Um, I was co-comparing the main stage there with um, Romario Wanless, um, and we had fun. At one point, Romario uh, invited me to improvise some Bob Marley songs with him. That was, uh, you know, highlight for me <laughs> of awkwardness, highlight of my career. But um, that was a real treat as well, to be able to... Uh, stand there and give voice and give thanks to everyone. Um, I'm going to kick off this podcast with the one of the opening speeches that was made. Um, this is uh, Phoenix Thomas, who's been part of the organising committee this year and in previous years for Trans Pride. Um, I think a lot of things were said that were really great. A lot of people spoke, but I think this was um, something that's that stuck with me and bears hearing repeatedly. <laughs> so um, before I introduce our guest, here is Phoenix opening Trans Pride from the main stage. Thank you so much everyone for coming. Um, it's, it means the world to us that you're all here. It means the world to us that there are so many representatives from so many different organisations, different parts of the community. And I just, I, I really want us to think about why we're all here today. And yes, it's to have fun and, and have a good time, but really the reason why I think that all of us are here today, and I think really the reason why all of you are here today is because we want to make things better, and visibility helps to make that happen. So thank you. But it's not just about making things better for the whitest of us, the richest of us, the most middle class of us, the most able-bodied among us, the most normative of us. It's about making things better for the whole community, about being a community together to make that happen and making sure that no one gets left behind in that. That's really important to us. And we are a tiny committee in what can sometimes feel like a painfully white town. And negotiating that is tricky sometimes but we want to thank you all for your patience and your support and supporting the community generally to be better to do better 
to hold each and every one of us to account as friends, as family. Thank you. Um, have a fantastic Trans Pride and may you meet lots of wonderful new people, have a fantastic time and make some memories that will last a lifetime. Thank you. And so on to my uh, main guest, onto the main course, if you will. Um, I spoke with Ishai, who's a, um artist based in Berlin, who designed the... Uh, there were some commissions that happened around Trans Pride. Pink Fringe commissioned um, some theatre to be made. So there were three pieces of um, theatre with the trans focus that were performed at the Marlborough Theatre. That, that was a great night as well. I mean, Trans Pride just kind of went on over this huge weekend. There was a theatre night, then there was the film night, then there was the Saturday with the march and the stage, and then there was a gig in the evening, and then there was a after party where I performed my first ever cabaret um, slot, which was super fun. Um, and then on the Sunday there was gathering, and then it was just, it, it felt, it was an, an epic um, weekend. But among all of that, there was a visual art commission to transform, I think was the invitation, the outside of the Marlborough Theatre, um, or certainly to, to have a piece of public art that would be there throughout. And in fact, it is still there, so you can still go and experience it. Um, so I, I had a conversation, I was invited to have a conversation with um, the artist who um, designed that, and that's what this is. Um, so without further ado, uh, here's Ishai. <laughs> Okay, hello, and welcome back to another episode of None of Us Is Just a Robot, and here we are recording internationally um, with Ishai, who is in Berlin. Hey, Ishai, welcome. Uh, good evening. Um, my name is Ishai, and um, I'm a semi. I'm a woman that has a history of trans, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm delighted to be on your show. Oh, thank you so much for being here. Um, this has been, um, and for diving straight into the uh, into the identity question. Um, so this has been initiated by uh, the guys at the Marlborough Theatre in Brighton um, because this weekend was Trans Pride, and you uh, designed and installed a uh, really incredible um, visual art commission, I guess, a visual art piece that was on the side of the building, um, which I did, and I, I participated in, and I've seen other people doing so throughout the weekend. Do you want to um, explain what it was? Sure. Um, well, this is uh, audio and visuals in installation. It was also, I had a collaborator for the audio part, which is uh, Annie Go. Uh, this project came out of... Um, several other projects that I've done before. Mm -hmm. um, one of them is Coming Home Pictures of Women. Mm -hmm. And um, it both looked at role models that were missing for me growing up of women that happened to be trans. And I'm a professional visual artist. And in my field, there is um, a systematic exclusion of trans women. And... Uh, I had a project where I talked to curators for about two years. I asked every curator I could find if they know any single trans woman in a museum collection. And museum collections are critical in my profession because 
they hold institutional memory. Mm. They, their task was holding our collective memories. And the curators, which hold incredible positions of power, and they basically answered one of two questions. One was, uh, yes, uh, I know a uh, trans woman, uh, Volcano de la Grace. And then I have to go explain to him, uh, no, they're not a trans woman. They're a masculine, trans masculine, perhaps intersex, but not a trans woman. But that's their vision of including, including trans women. Yes. Or uh, about 50% of the time, I would get the other answer, no, but I know an incredibly sensitive cis person that did an incredibly sensitive project. <laughs> and... Um, in my research, I discovered that there was not in a museum collection, but showed in a museum in Germany in the late 20s, uh, women that happened to be trans. Wow. Uh, the Berlin Gay Museum, uh, Schwolle means gay in mm -hmm. English, um, which markets itself as an LGBT museum, actually in its almost 20 years of operation has yet to have a single uh, solo show by a trans woman. Wow. Uh, in the big trance show in 2012, they had uh, about 30 artists, which is cis women and trans men and a single trans woman. Mm -hmm. And um, later on, they collaborated with Historic Museum to have a very incredibly large um, trans show. Mm -hmm. And that, well, not trans, queer show. Mm -hmm. And that show uh, included trans masculinities, but not trans femininities as artists. As subjects, yes. Uh, but not as artists. So there's, a, so there's a real kind of um, lack of representation across the industry. It's, lack of representation sounds really nice. This is thematic <laughs> exclusion. Yeah, yeah, okay. I could be as a subject in a museum, but not as an artist. And I say this mm -hmm. as an artist with two monographs and two monographs coming mm -hmm. uh, with major publishers. Um, well, some was major publishers. Um, I've been in the Biennale, possibly the first trans woman in the Biennale mm -hmm. in Korea six years ago. I'm Berlin woman filmmaker from 2010. I, I had major solo shows in New York. So, you know, I'm saying this not because, oh, look at me, I'm important. It's just, yeah, yeah. I had some success and I'm one of many that had some success. How come institutionally, as a whole, based on my gender, I'm erased? Mm -hmm. No pictures of me naked by somebody else, particularly a cis person, mm -hmm. no problem. They will be in a museum collection. They will launch somebody's career. Yeah. Graphing trans people has launched many a cis person's career. Yeah, yeah. Or at least been a major stepping stone. Mm -hmm. How come, for me, it, I can't get into any of the institutions? Mm -hmm. And that led me to look for role models. And not finding them, I went and started photographing. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of photography in my artwork. And that was uh, 2013. Um, I had a residency and solo show at uh, Brandeis University mm -hmm. in uh, Boston, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And that was the precursor to Nothing About Us Without Us, which explores intersectionality and being trans. Uh -huh. The audio component is um, an audioscape of six interviews that I conducted with people, mostly people in my close network around mm -hmm. the world. And it's looking at even within the trans spectrum of those that are not in the center. Mm -hmm. Because 
there is an automatically erasure of the more intersectionally and marginal. Mm. Intersectionally, I mean people that are, suffer multiple forms of oppression. Mm-hmm. They're erased. Mm-hmm. So it's just trans. The, the, the more you, the more oppressions you suffer, the least likely you are to be seen and heard. Yeah. The idea was to both give space to the voices, and I try to not control the interviews and at the same time take public space mm-hmm. the voices that are the least heard. Yeah. And having, you know, particularly when you're very trans and uh, suffer other oppressions in some of the communities reaching the age of 30 is a mm-hmm. big, or 35. Yeah. Uh, South America, trans women is 30. Trans women of color in the U.S. is 35. Mm-hmm. So it's a really big deal. So these are very powerful voices that have survived. Mm-hmm. So there's so much to learn from that. And just letting them talk about what matters to, to them as human beings, yeah. as people. And it's, you know, trans can be just a tiny bit. It's not the end all of mm-hmm. somebody's identity. Yeah. But we have to look at the complex multiplicity of identity to understand other people's humanity and our own humanity, because mm-hmm. our humanity is not separated by somebody from somebody else. Mm-hmm. We have to be able to see somebody as more than one dimension in order to be ourselves human. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. And I, I really tried to make sure there was room for that. That's why the audioscape is one thing in the headsets in the uh, Marlboro that you can uh, borrow. Yeah. Another component, so you can hear the full interviews. Yeah, yeah. I, I really liked that there was both those things going on because it was nice um, experiencing it both as someone just sort of standing outside, actually waiting for the march to begin. Um, you know, during the the morning of Trans Pride, as everyone gathered around the Marlboro, and the Marlboro is such a kind of hugely important space in Brighton and a hugely important space for the for the queer community, but for the trans community as well, and and. I mean, at the moment, for anyone who hasn't been down there, they have the side of the building is painted with a kind of giant space narwhal which shoots rainbows from its from its unicorn horn um, across the galaxy. So you know, it's wearing its it wears its uh, heart pretty much on its sleeve. But then to see you know the, these metallic silhouettes um, of of trans women, I, I presume that we're on the side there. People, but um, I try to make it a more erogenous and mm. reflective, so people can kind of see their own distorted reflection yeah. in it um, to help hold the space for the audio. Yeah, I didn't want to take away from the beautiful closing that the Marlboro mm. has because it, I felt it was too aggressive to take it over, mm. but interact with it by putting the silhouettes mm. I felt was enough of a statement. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Too much is too much. You have to find like what's just enough, yeah. but the kind of the sweet spot. <laughs> and I think like the way that it interacted with, like I've just sort of, um, sort of uh, playfully described that painting on the side of the wall. But I mean, the, the way that the shapes kind of sat within that, it felt very much part of it as well. You know, it, did, it, it didn't feel imposed upon it, which is incredible given what you were working with. Um, no, it was, re- it was really great. And to sit, I mean, I sat for quite a long time with the headsets as well on um, Monday, I think it was. So kind of after 
or the craziness of Saturday after all the kind of the come down of Sunday like and that was kind of nice I just sat I sat there I had my my dog with me and we just sort of sat in the as the sun was going down and I listened um to the recordings and um as you say hearing those voices given com- complete prominence and also in a way that I think even with something like a podcast people are electing uh to I mean okay maybe they're going to listen to this podcast they're not necessarily electing to hear you because they've come to the podcast that they that they know or they're not electing to hear me because they've come because they want to hear you or something but there's a choice involved and what I quite liked was the blind curation of it that I wasn't sitting down to say oh it's you know Juliet Jake's great I like um, I like reading their work, their words. I'll listen to what they say. Suddenly, it was there in my, you know, in my head. Um, so yeah, that was that was nice. Well, that that is being able to take public space. Mm. That's why the audio was so important is that the, the visuals are really just hold you a bit. Yeah, the audio because it, it gives the audio more room. Mm. Um, but the audio was the most important because that's a way of taking over because when you install outside the gallery you have different requirements mm-hmm. and you have different effect and like you said you can reach people where where they are they're crossing the street yeah You're, they're still hearing it and that's still prominence to voices that otherwise would never be heard yeah. you know and more than that with trans body and intersectional uh, oppression mm-hmm. public space is so dangerous yeah and here is a chance of reversing it. The voices cannot be heard. The yeah. People cannot be heard, and they're taking back the space that belongs to all of us. This was a really powerful part of the weekend for me as well. This taking back of space, just with the um, with the the march, felt very successful this year. Um, it was a lot. I, have you been to Transpride in previous years? I've never been to Transpride. Um, is there anything similar in, in Berlin, uh, kind of really focused in the Berlin trans community? About, well, Berlin is 10 years behind England. Um, so trans, particularly trans femininities, are um, marginalized. Okay. Um, so there is no uh, trans pride. There is CSD. There is the uh, gay pride and there is alternative gay pride. Mm-hmm. Uh, both have issues. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm really jealous. I wish I was at Brighton for it because it, I really would love to just be in a space filled with trans, non-binary, and people that love us and support us. Yeah, it's That's- very, it's very powerful. And I was, I was at the, um, so I was co-comparing the stage, which meant that I needed to get to the park as quickly as possible, but I, re- but I wanted to, to march as well, no question. Um, so because of that, though, I was at the front of the march mm-hmm. and this, um, this is a, this is a very powerful place to be, right? Cause you're, you're at the, the first wave of it, but also it means that behind you, you have 2000 people literally kind of having your back and that sense of walking through the streets and 100% being surrounded by people that you can trust and then the the i don't know it's it's i guess it's it's how i used to feel when i walked the streets before i was out as trans you know that this sense that the streets are for you um as opposed to an expectation of of anything else and 
the evening after Trans Pride, I was on my own walking through Brighton and I experienced a transphobic kind of verbal abuse. And the previous evening I'd been walking back on my own and I didn't actually experience anything, but I felt very unsafe. And so, you know, that really kind of sandwiched for me that feeling of being on the march and being in that um, space and how, yeah, rare it is to experience that in public space and yet how important. And it can only... Well, no, it can go in any direction, but I hope that it consolidates and it grows and it spreads to other places because there's people came from all over the world to be there. Yeah, I really do hope it does. Mm. Because not being killed is an awesome thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately, mortality rates are high, both from direct violence and indirect violence. Yeah. And uh, having these moments of solidarity and mm. visibility are life-affirming. Yeah. Um, we need more visibility and not as tokens. Yeah. We need visibility in all fields, in all professional fields, in all parts of life, because we are in all parts of life. And we need to first not be kicked out of them and second, yeah. not be killed. Yeah. And visibility is one of the ways. Yeah. And I think what you said before as well about, you know, it's visibility, but it's, and actually, um, the, per, the event was begun with a, with a really great speech, um, from Phoenix, um, Thomas, who's one of the, uh, was one of the committee members who organized this year's pride, who's, who spoke about this, that, you know, that this visibility, it, it is about visibility of everybody. It isn't just visibility of the most heteronormative among us it's not visibility of the of the whitest among us etc etc and i think that's really important this question of intersectionality and it's something that i do think i mean you know it's it's gonna raise problems because there there is always people there are always people who are left out and there is always more that can be done um but seeing the the improvement even this year on last year in catering for intersectionality and embracing difference, I feel like it is something that at its core, um, the trans community does, tries to kind of hold on to the, um, cause there is assimilation now, you know, there's, there's the option out there. We can all go and support the Danish girl if we want to. And, transparent and all of the other things that are hitting the mainstream and those of us who who could could attain some level of um acceptance at the cost of others and i and i kind of hope that that, it, that this doesn't happen you know i think it's not as likely as you present it because living in fear of being found mm. out is not a healthy option no being it's completely boring is very healthy. Mm-hmm. Boring is awesome, but <laughs> I think we don't have the luxury anymore to fight one on one issue. Mm. I mean, that's what led to the rise of uh, white feminism, where um, it was for white middle class women, and it forgot everybody else, yeah. and it you know and required everybody was more marginalized to lean in, mm-hmm. and at the same time didn't support anybody except the middle class and upper middle class uh, white feminists. Um, and I think that's 
critical to look at that we mm-hmm. can no longer have the luxury to just think of one thing yeah it's very attractive to think of one thing because it's so simple yeah yeah gender rights women's rights awesome easy to explain easy to understand racism easy to explain and understand comparatively but we cannot think just one thing yeah we have to think of it all together we are now have to be adults because the world is becoming harder and harder and we just we are running out of luxuries to waste mm-hmm. Yeah, and the more marginalized you are, the more you have no, you know it in your bones that there is no more time to waste, and there is no more luxuries that we can squander anymore. And can I ask you about the um, the the phrase the um, um, nothing about us without us? Mm -hmm. Where did um, where did this come from? Well, uh, it actually, uh, it's also, um, it's used by uh, Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another issue where we wanted to look at uh, um, racialized issues in uh, trans identity. Mm-hmm. As trans women of color have so many more issues and EU and UK with migration. Mm-hmm. So if you're a migrant of color and trans, yeah. Uh, uh, you're also marginalized out of um, mainstream economy and might uh, choose to work as a sex worker. And that, you know, all those identities confluence and make life very hard. And at the same time, the people that will speak about you are more and more privileged. Mm -hmm. People, and this is from my professional experience, the people that have authority to, to represent my life in museums are cis people, mm. or trans masculine. And I'm like, I'm not okay with it. It both damages me in terms of my career. If I can't, I'm a fine artist. This is what I do. And if I can't show in a museum, my career is very limited, but their career will be made by showing images of me. Mm-hmm. So what is going on here? Yeah. And it's not something new. This is going on for a long time. Mm. Um, so... Yeah, this is uh, my, attempt, my attempt to scream at the top of my voice that it's not okay. Mm. It's not okay to have photographs of us in museums that won't allow us to be in them. Yeah. And it's very simple. I mean, you know, it's very simple as a, as a demand. It's very clear. It's very clear it's been done before by the Gorilla Girls, mm. which had amazing tactics. But unfortunately, there is something very strange about, you know, being a woman that has a history of trans. You're a race because even in the, a lot of feminist circles, when they demand inclusion, they demand inclusion, but that would include trans masculinities and not trans femininities. Mm-hmm. I mean, Berlin is a classic example where you have a show with cis women and trans men hmm. or a show historical survey of queerness with trans masculinities and photographs of trans femininities, but not trans feminine artists. Hmm. And when do you de- get called out of it on it? You refuse to include in the cow. It's basically a huge mess. Yeah. And it's enough. We have our own voice. We are actually really good at speaking about what we need to speak mm-hmm. but being erased we don't have a chance and i 
actually made a point with my career that a lot of what I do has to do with my main topic as an artist, which is inheritance of post-traumatic memories. Mm-hmm. It's not a topic for the lighthearted or the faint of heart. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've been doing for almost 20 years. Wow. And in my field, I'm a little recognized, especially in uh, other parts of the world than I live in. But, you know, that is a strategy so I can't erase I can't be erased if I only worked on, you know, my naked body in a way would be more acceptable, but yeah. in such a way, it limits my voice. Yeah. I know how to speak about my life and there are various ways to do it. Mm-hmm. And I did build the second largest zootrope in the world for a Biennale in South Korea once. And, um, and that had uh, images of me naked. Yes, mm-hmm. that was my choice. And I spent quite a while researching it. And the reason I built a zootrope, which is a very old film technology that's not projected mm-hmm. is to have the realness of an image and not the fakeness of projection. Mm-hmm. And that's a, so it's half a ton of steel, half, you know, that turns at 11 kilometers an hour. It was major production. I have an engineer. My engineer had an engineer <laughs> or physicist. There was about 30 people in my team. Yeah. It's a, it's a big deal, and that gives a different weight to that uh, the way that anyone's going to be viewing that image, right? Well, it's second largest in the world. There was a reason, not because oh, larger is better. It's mm-hmm. because um, I didn't want to have the image uh, of myself small because that would have invoked too much uh, Victorian pornography, and I yeah. wanted to have equal standing as the audience, and that's why I needed to be that size. Yeah which was technically more interesting than anybody ever envisioned. <laughs> it's always good when there's a happy accident in, the, in these things. Well, this is more like um, physicists are like scratching their heads, trying to figure stuff out, <laughs> engineering mishaps in translation. But, you know, it worked for the opening and it worked for the show. So yeah, that was great. And I got a Berlin Woman Filmmaker Award to do it. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was kind of a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and yet I can't make any headway into any of the institutions in Europe mm. and the UK. And I'm not alone in this. Yeah, because I'm not the you know I'm not the lonely successful. You know, there are others that are just as good as I am and have no professional inclusion. Mm. And this is not okay. And do you think this will um, change until there are trans people in positions of curatorial power? Does it have to come from the top, from the top down? Do we need to have a generation of trans women actually running museums and curating collections? But beforehand, we need to protest a lot more. Mm. We need to have a lot more social action. But the problem is that when you're more marginalized, you spend a lot more time just day, struggling to survive the day. Yeah. Don't, and have to be very strategic in where you use your energy because you have so little surplus of it. Mm-hmm. And um, so part of it is working with solidarity with other organizations and other marginalized communities. And I think we just, we need to be conscious and, we need to figure out how best to use our energy. Yeah. 
And that means sometimes refusing to do things because it's not just being in the most amount of shows you can. Mm-hmm. Refusing to be in shows is also an important weapon. Yeah. And also sometimes being, um, uh, as the term was coined, a Trojan token. Because that using the inclusion as a way of subversion. Mm. So we have to be smart about our tactics because our resources are so limited. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it would be lovely to have curators and it, it would. But I think the next step is more, you know, more fighting. Yeah. It will be a long time before I think anything major happens. And as you said, you mentioned that the um, cis-normative uh, movies that came out mm. as opposed to the trans-led one like Tangerine. Mm-hmm. We need more. I actually, I'm, yeah. I, I'm in the process of writing a movie now, my first one. So I have a writing partner and we are uh, started to write uh, a movie because if I don't get inclusion into institutions, mm-hmm. maybe I'll find my audience in the cinemas. Yeah. But we need to reach more people. And that was why the Marlboro was such an incredible opportunity to mm. take actual public space and have the voices heard in it. Yeah. And as we all know, that has uh, an effect. I mean, it has an effect of people's survival. Because mm-hmm. if you're completely alone, you don't have a community resilience behind you, your chances of survival are lower. Yeah. The more, the more community resilience is behind you, the less alone you are, your better chances of survival are. And this is whether you're uh, less intersectional, more intersectional community resilience behind you is, is critical in survival and also in facing traumas. It's, it's your community behind you is very important. Mm. It's not just your personal strengths because that is so finite. Yeah. It's others having your back, like others having your back, that changes your personal ability to be resilient in the face of adversity. I think that's why I like so much the um, the curation ar- around um, this year. The, what the Marlboro did there was there was the visual art piece. There was the um, there was the the theatre night as well that was there, and then there was the film the film collection as well. That it really kind of broadened. You could you could see out as well. There were the people who were there, and that was that was epic. And then there were all the, these these other things going on as well. Um, and I think, I mean, we're trying. I'm working at the moment with um, with Abby from the Marlboro. We um, we run together a, a project called None of Us Is Yet a Robot. Um, and we've made now four performance pieces that have um, been performed quite widely within the UK theatre scene. We're beginning to do a little bit of international touring with it as well. And this is great to be kind of, yeah, I mean, to be, see- yeah, this is like fantastic. Actually, I'm coming to Berlin in um, the autumn, but not with my own work. I'm coming to Berlin as part of a um, slightly ridiculous other project, but um no, we're taking the we're taking the none of us yet a robot to Barcelona. We're taking it to Sao Paulo, which is going to be um, yeah in, in, incredible. In fact, um, oh, at, the, at the risk of jumping around too much, another thing that was going on this week over Trans Pride Weekend 
is that we are having a cultural exchange between myself and Abby and a producer and a trans artist from Sao Paulo. So they were staying at the Marlborough and they were around for the whole weekend. Uh, and then we're going to do the equivalent and go to Sao Paulo in November. Um, and that feels huge to kind of connect across those communities and to connect as well. Like we, we, we managed to get the funding through um, the British Council and it's, it's a fund that is open specifically to meet people and not to actually produce anything. It's not about putting on a show. Yeah, I mean, get it, get involved next round. But it's um, it's specifically about kind of hanging out, going somewhere, hanging out, meeting meeting people, figuring out what the scene is, and the freedom of that has been huge because they've been over. And you know, then then the ability to say, well, look, come over during Trans Pride. There's not a lot of performance going on, but this is the this is the scene at the you know at, at its height. Come and see a lot of trans people and see what that feels like and um you know they're going back with a lot of that we're going to go over during a festival there and it's great to have that exchange with um brazil because i kind of felt that the the rhetoric that gets thrown around around brazil around brazilian trans women is slightly troubling with how easily it can get thrown around sometimes in some circles i mean in the uk uh, in the UK, yeah. Yeah, that was horrible. Mm. Yeah, it was. It hit. It hit outside the borders of the UK. Yeah, that misogyny and transphobia. And I kind of felt like, well, if we, you know, if, if there's this narrative going around, then we ought to start, you know, actually inviting some people over and meeting some people, and you know, actually beginning to not talk about people in such generalized terms. Well, you know, if we look at general statistics, uh, what's uh, the average age is 30. Mm-hmm. So that's not so, such a long longevity for a person. The 30 is your life expectancy. Yeah. Um, and all those horrible articles that come out um, reduce that expectancy. Mm-hmm. Again, community resilience. The more horrible article there are, the more likely people are to die. Yeah. 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 I wish, I wish I had, you know, like cheerful stuff, but I'm usually not the one for cheerful stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but this is what we're, but th- this is because of what we're dealing with, right? You know, it's, you, you, you work with what you have and you work with the situation that you have. And, um, yeah, <laughs> your community is high. You speak about that. Totally. Totally. But, um, I, I was saying before I got sidetracked by, um, Brazilians, and we all sat together and did your piece, actually. This was part of our kind of, <laughs> our cultural exchanging was to say, ah, oh, come and sit and you know, check out this. Um, but I'm, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, we're, so we're touring this piece, Rituals for Change, at the moment. And we put it on in London at a, um, at a really nice theatre, good run, part of a mainstream programme. And didn't reach a trans audience, trans non-binary audience at all. Um, And that really surprised me because I thought it would a bit because of where we'd put it around and the, um, you know, the, the awareness that that we'd put out there. And that was really kind of um, 
that's been really uh, a real become a real challenge for us because it's not a piece that is with some of the pieces that I've made I can see that you know there is a piece that I've made that is definitely made for a cisgender audience because it's it's stuff that if you're trans already then you probably know and so this is a piece that is unapologetically um an unapologetic manifesto about um language and how it is used against the trans community this is for a cis audience. Great. Easy. I know where it's for. Rituals for Change is more ambivalent. It's about change. I speak from a point of view of being a trans person, but it can, you know, it's, I understand it's resonant for, for other people as well. And that's, and that's great. Um, but now the issue is how do we, how, how, <laughs> to have a piece that is representing to be there to say okay here is a piece that can speak that is speaking about issues that um will be recognizable to you it's now our responsibility not to say well why did the trans community not come into the theater and see it our responsibility is to go and figure out how to how to take it to that community and this is the focus now of the next bit of time that we're looking at we've got um we're working on a project with with some people up in leeds um, which hopefully will become a model for for doing that. And it's about getting out of theatres and actually spending longer in a place and building other activities and other spaces around it. Because you look at something like Trans Pride Weekend and there is a lot of people. <laughs> there are a lot of people. And did everyone come to the film night? Yeah, of course. Did everyone come to the theatre night? Of course. You know, you come to the thing that's there. But... Um, I mean, I... segments sometimes but also it's important to look more intersectionally because i guess mm. um trans is such a small part of my identity and that's why i work with the topics i work because my identity is very nuanced mm. and um rich of course and i and or you know i had i have uh, multiple oppressions to face so it has never been an issue like that but i've never worked for one particular audience mm -hmm. And I always work from a very intersectional perspective, and I try to reach also the mainstream, but I try to make sure that any work is very nuanced. Mm -hmm. And it's, not, it's never a manifesto. It's always um, critical mass. Mm -hmm. um, while I have the things I think about in my head, for me, it's always an important step to, to step back and let the piece dictate. And somehow, by making it nuanced enough, mm. it works correctly. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. I mean, that we might just work from different um, uh, lineages in our art making. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, I, I, just as you say it, because, I mean, the work, so piece for piece, my work's very different. But I, there, I wonder if there's something about... Um, being that I'm pre that I'm live and present in a space and physically there in front of people speaking and talking that leads that leads towards a like me to use the word manifesto because I feel that it's important that I can own the things that I'm saying that when I when I stand and I and I make decisions about what I'm going to share with you that I can own that they are my opinions and my decisions and when you're um when the artist is not physically present, that you can be afforded more of a an, an ambiguity there, perhaps. 
Tene. When because when the artist is not there to explain, the work has to stand by itself. Mm -hmm. um, it's not about owning less of what you say. It's about people are there without you. Mm -hmm. It exists without you. Or the you know there is no. That's probably why I do. I do also sometimes performance, mm -hmm. but I. When I make an installation, when I have a show, and I work cross culturally, I actually exhibit a lot more in. in I don't exhibit in Germany, but I exhibit in Tokyo a lot more than I exhibit <laughs> in Europe overall. Right. And so I have to work with cultural specific, and sometimes it's even more age specific. That's my main audience will come, but I have to work in a way that the piece has its life of its own when you leave it mm -hmm. and authorship you 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 bring it to where it needs to be but then you have to let it go because it has its own life mm. and you can't stand there and talk to people explain it or shift it mm. it's there yeah. you know it behaves by itself and you are completely out of the equation so you have to really nuance it so it will work because people are so different mm -hmm. You can't have one strategy to hit everything. And you yes. can't think it too much. Because if you are too much in your head, the piece will not be an artwork. Mm -hmm. It will be um, a lecture. Yeah. And people hate being lectured, most mm -hmm. people. Uh, so you, kinda, you create a critical mass and you let it have its own life. Mm -hmm. um, when I lecture, it's different. When I lecture, I'm there and I talk from my personal experience. Yeah, yeah. I own everything I say about my personal experience. Yeah. And that is awesome because that is a way of being visible and being heard. Mm -hmm. started doing audio guides for uh, some of my bigger shows is to be able to speak finally because I'm afforded a lot of chances to speak. Mm -hmm. When I have colleagues that are at the same level, um, in terms of fine art, it's the same level. They usually lecture once every month or two. I lecture one every, once every two years. Yeah. Became this burden that I want to speak mm -hmm. and I don't have a chance. Yeah. And so I created audio guides. Yeah, good, good, good workaround. <laughs> well, it allows me to tell stories. Yeah. Which are sometimes, as you said, really important. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes you need to tell the story and there are visuals, but there is also a story that some people will choose to listen to. Mm -hmm. And again, audio guide is different because they choose to listen or not. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. It's very, it's, it's really interesting chatting with, um, with someone from you know, kind of, and not even parallel, but you know, it's from, from a different um, practice. I mean, I'm, I'm beginning to work more with visual art. And it's been really liberating. It's been really like as someone who's worked exclusively in performance my whole career, um, and I'm absolutely loving it. And I'm loving the kind of place of being an amateur within that as well. And um, but the 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 joy of making something, and as you say, then just like then leaving it, and it can continue to to be a thing and to do a thing without you is so liberating. It's it's really it's. Um, yeah, it's really exciting. I love it. And, you know, you have your period where you have no influence in a way. 
Mm. If you create it, then you bring it to the exhibition. Some people create for exhibitions, but I like to create the work and then try to get it exhibited. Mm -hmm. Then the work really has its own shape. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Although I'm very slow. My project takes, many of them take uh, over 10 years. Wow. Wow. I like to really shape them. Yeah. Um, Can I ask what have you got coming up at the moment or what are you working on right now? Well, um, mostly what I do right now is writing grant in the hope that somebody will give me money. (laughs) (laughs) That's the life of, uh, you know, internationally famous artists. (laughs) This is is universal, I think. (laughs) It's it's horrible. I have nothing on the horizon. I mean, I am working now on a project involving ceramic and uh, violence Mm -hmm. and... um, both in terms of individual violence, uh, intimate violence, as well as institutional violence mm-hmm. in war. So that's kind of, and ceramics is a new um, medium for me. Mm-hmm. So I'm very interested, excited, but again, it's mostly right now writing yeah. applications yeah. to get the funding to be able to do the project. Yeah. Which is just horribly hard. <laughs> I hate rejections. Yeah. <laughs> you get hundreds of rejections a year. Um, the other one is I'm working on a movie, as I said, yeah. and this is, um, a fictional version of actually, uh, my life and just in terms of it's my life, but it's my life at when the uh, big queer show in Berlin was the historic museum and the gay museum, mm-hmm. um, was happening and, um, uh, that they didn't have any trans women as artists. And this is kind of where my life was and all the things happening and me shouting about it top of my voice and not being heard and a few other like hmm. cool things happen. I think it's going to be very nice. And we, we are, I mean, I'm very happy and my writing partner is very happy about where this is right. going. And it's their uh, third film. Okay, cool. I, I'm really happy to work with experienced people. Yeah. yeah. So work. So I'm really excited about working with them. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and a few other friends are involved and hopefully, uh, Phoenix will do costumes. Uh, so it's like, amazing. Yeah. Amazing. What a great, what, what a, what a brilliant team straight away. Brilliant team. It's like the music is, we already know who does the music. It's one of my dear friends that we work together, mm. rated on a piece, a dance piece I did, uh, about, um, the second Iraq war. Mm-hmm. I was actually a soldier in the first one, so it's mm. a long story. But yeah, so okay. it's like I'm so excited about the team and doing this project. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing. I mean, there's nothing better, I think, than work than collaborating with people that are, firstly, awesome. Um, kind of secondly, better than you at the things that they <laughs> that they're doing, um, and that really kind of yeah push you and challenge you and excite you. So it's definitely one of the nicest things about um, the job of being an artist. I think it's always the best is to always have people that are smarter than you. Yeah. Best thing in the world. And yeah. you will have to run to try to catch up. It's amazing. I, mean, I love that. <laughs> cool. Well then thank you so much for, um, for speaking. Um, sure. and thank you for, you know, for your piece. And I think it's going to stay there for a while, right? At the Marlborough. It's going to stay at least till Pride. Great. Uh, well, Pride's only like next weekend, but um, right here, I, yeah. we haven't talked about taking it down. And honestly, I think it can stay for a while. Yeah. 
and we don't need any, we don't need anything back. Yeah, <laughs> sort of like it, it just. I hope it it has a life for a while. Yeah, I think so. So you know, if anyone is in Brighton, then go down to the Marlborough, and you can ask behind the bar for the headsets, or you can stand outside and. Four. Sorry. Twelve and four is when it runs between twelve and four. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, well, who is your performance? And hopefully, I see you in Berlin. Yeah, in Berlin. It, when am I there? I'm. It's in. I'm like looking around, hopefully for my diary. It's in October, in the middle of October, sometime. Okay. Um, I might be here. I have no idea. I'm, hopefully, I'll get something happening. But if I'm not, then I'll be here. Brilliant. Well, I will. I'll drop you a line. I'll be in for one. In, in for one day and out again. But I'll, I was supposed to be spending the whole of June uh, in Berlin this year, and doing uh, as part of an exhibition. Um, and then it all fell through, and it left me. Yeah, and it, it left me with the whole of June free, actually, which was quite exciting because we took. Um, I managed to take um, some time and be with my family and travel and things. But um, it was a, it was a shame because I was looking. I was quite excited about the potential. Exhibition was that? Uh, this was. Um, it was called Trans Time. Um, I, I I was also part of it. Suppose. Were you? But, yeah. So this would have been our this would have been our meeting. We should perhaps not record. <laughs> well, you can maybe tell me more about more about it. But um, yeah, I had the uh, I had the hope of being in Berlin, and uh, but I'm sure I'm sure it's a city that calls people, right? Yeah, but unfortunately, you know, um, yeah, there were problems. Mm. Yeah, I yeah, I, I, that's basically what that's as much as I heard and. Well, when we recording, we can talk you can about tell it. me this is great. All right, this is very this is very cryptic, but um, but no, I'm going to get to Berlin. The last time I went to Berlin was a long time ago in another lifetime, and I had an exceptionally miserable time. Uh, <laughs> I got very drunk. One of like I can count on my hand on one hand the number of times I've gone out with the intention of getting drunk to like get away. <laughs> Um, and I succeeded admirably, but it let, it made for a very miserable time. <laughs> Berlin can do that. Yeah, it facilitated me me very well. Cool. All right. Okay. Thank you so much. Lovely to speak okay. with you. to um, Ishai uh, for such a great conversation. I forgot to say that we were recording um, over Skype, uh, so but I, I, I ho- hopefully that didn't um, interfere too much for you. It was nice to be able to speak to people, um, not only the people that I'm encountering uh, as I'm travelling around, but to be able to reach out um, across countries and across borders, especially in these uh, in these uncertain times. Um, speaking of which, my next guest is going to be uh, Marcelli Barreto, um, who has been on an exchange with us. She's a, a Brazilian um, jazz pianist and has been on uh, 
uh, exchange with my project, Nanovisage at a Robot, right across TransPride, seeing all of the work going on, participating some in some of the things. And we'll be picking back up where we left off um, with the topic of technology. So stay tuned for that. Um, in the vein of work with people who are smarter than you in the room, I'm in a joyful um, process at the moment. Uh, you may remember those keen fans among you that way back I had a conversation with Joe Clifford and was talking about the play Galatea. Um, well, this is the week we're working on it. Um, so I'm currently um, rehearsing with an incredible um, collective of artists and actors of many different genders um, exploring this um, pre-Shakespeare text that has at its heart a um, same-sex love affair and uh, definitely has issues of gender all over it. So I really look forward to reporting more on that um, in the future. Anyway, this has been um, an epic listen and thank you for being with us. Thank you as ever for tuning in and um, to those of you I met at Trans Pride, uh, thank you so much and um, it was lovely to meet you and for those of you who I have yet to meet, um, thank you for listening and as ever, take care and see you next time. We are